0: Welcome to our next installment of the Rebels of the Heart Virtual Conference series. It's been an ongoing segment where we featured great leaders across all different areas of business, different companies, really showing the next generation of leadership and what leadership with a heart looks like in terms of rebels breaking the rules, creating new rules and, and establishing what a healthy business and personal relationship can look like. I'm Derek Bunston, CEO of Life Guides. Uh, and we're building a platform for caring people to do a start very good by using technology to match people who have been through a life challenge of some sort with those who are going through the same or a very similar experience now, provide peer-to-peer mentorship support and guidance to help people get happier, healthier, and more productive in both their work life and home life and where those come together. Angela, welcome to Rebels with a Heart. It's a pleasure to see you and have you on. I'm looking forward to our conversations as always. And I'm sure you will be an inspiring rebel today. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you, Derek. It's so good to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, the pleasure is, is ours and the audience. And so tell us a little bit. I mean, your career is, is amazing, but tell us a little bit about just what got you to embody this rebellious spirit in whatever way feels alive.
1: Ooh, I like that question. Um, So, you know, uh, at at heart, I'm just a very non traditional person. I question everything. Um, You know, I was one of the kids who got, you know, talks too much on their report card. And (laughs) that makes two of us. And was always formulating um, kind of my own path. And um, I'm also an only child. So I think that has something to do with it. And so it's kind of been rebellious my my entire my entire life. And as I got into the area of um, employee engagement, human resources, you know, that theme kind of just continued. So, you know, human putting human back in human resources has been a, a key theme. Um, my background's in organizational psychology. So I really focus on behavior at work. And what I've found is Workplaces weren't built for everybody, and we're really not taking into account the entire human. So I've spent a lot of my career questioning some of the things we consider just is or just as is and traditional in the workplace and trying to make a better space for, for people to thrive and to fulfill their purpose in.
0: I love that. I love that you beat your own drum, and I think the questioning part is a key part of it, Question think why things are done the way they are and then being willing to take risks to try something new and different so what was it about hr specifically or what was about human i mean just in general what industrial psychology io psychology like what Mm -hmm. brought you to that path like why'd you choose that of all things
1: yeah so i actually wanted originally i wanted to be a clinical psychologist and then i said you know what i'm uh too much of a empath for this job. I will just soak all the trauma and, you know, I, I still, you know, we, I, we still work with trauma, I think in, in workplaces, but it's,
0: Definitely.
1: it's a little more manageable for me at least. So I, I had my mental health, um, at top of mind when choosing my career and I quickly realized that clinical psychology would be tough for me. So, um, I discovered in the process of getting my bachelor's degree, I have a, a double major in, human resource development and psychology, uh, I started, I had a mentor who kind of guided me into the path of workplace psychology. And I can only attribute that path to that one person because that's what got me on that path. And that's usually what happens. Right. And so I was like, Oh, this is interesting. And, you know, just viewing the organization as an organism and an ecosystem and thinking about the people in it really hit home and resonated for me. So. I got
0: I love, I love that. And we're, we're gonna come back to a couple of things that you mentioned in that, in that sentence, but when you, when you first got into the, into the actual business environment and saw this in practice, like what was the questions that immediately came to your mind that said that, that you saw the chance to do it differently?
1: Yeah, I think, um, you know, questions like um, why, why is it that I'm the only one who, who looks like this in this room? Um questions like, why are we uh making assumptions about the human experience that just didn't make sense to me? Uh why aren't we connecting, why aren't we connecting the human experience to um the full human experience to work versus expecting people to just bring their work human? Why aren't we considering their whole experience? You know, these are things that I had noticed early on. And you know, also why, why aren't leaders doing their job? <laughs> why aren't leaders leading? So these are all things that, uh, you know, early in my career started, you know, taking little Angela into account, you know, when she was rebelling and talking too much, just continued right into my career. So never stopped.
0: I, I love that. That's, that's, Kind of what i was getting at and i love that you're willing to kind of push those hard questions to two leaders and within organizations both organizations that you've worked with and organizations support talk with us a little bit about the work that you're doing now in terms of you know helping organizations to you know because you're doing a few different types of roles in, in what, what you're doing now how you're helping them to actualize these questions helping them to really do it differently not just ask it but actually put it into practice the work that is creating change, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think the first thing is, you know, so I work as a, an advisor, a strategist with executives, leadership teams who are looking to navigate culture and actualizing it. And when I say actualizing, it's kind of getting away from the buzzword of, or the, the table stakes of, we need to treat our employees well that's just table stakes. Now it's like, how do we actually work within the system to remove barriers, to match our organizational identity to our actual actions, to walk the walk, you know, all these things. And it all comes back to, you know, culture is just a culmination of your daily actions and behaviors. And culture is also your worst behavior um, of the company. So it's really about holding holding leaders accountable, but it's also about getting all the leadership team on the same page. So working and really giving some white glove treatment to that intact leadership team, because they're so important for change and transformation. So kind of two pieces to what I do is working with an executive team, working to define what is our aspirational culture and how do we work within process behaviors, people, um, policies to move the needle, and then the second part of my role is working to build community with intact leadership teams because they are the stewards of that work. And they actually are the ones who need to get it done and execute on it. So those are kind of the two layers I typically work the most
0: with. I love that. I don't want to come back to some of the, the, the back part of that. But you said something that was interesting to me about treating your employees well-being table stakes. And that is true, I, I believe. But is it is it really true across all organizations? Or or is it something that, I mean, I think maybe in the organization that you serve and we work with, that that probably is true. But is it is it true across the broad context of business right now? That's part A of the question. Part B is um, what does it mean to you exactly to treat employees well? Like what's the standard that we're creating for employers that may not be at that point yet?
1: Yeah, no, you bring up a great point. I think um, I think I'm I'm jumping to the future a little bit here because I think what we're seeing at the evolution around the social contract with employer between employers and employees. I, I let me rephrase my statement. I think it is becoming table stakes, and it will be table stakes. And the opportunity for companies to um, get their shit together on it is narrow. <laughs> Excuse my language. It's I agree with you quickly. Um and so, you know, the standard, I believe, is are you treating people with empathy, respect, and considering their their whole being and the whole human into the equation? Are you putting people over profit? Because because the business case is we know when you put people before profit, they will profit will naturally follow. Um, but when you put profit before people, uh, you lose people, attrition, people get sick. Um, and that's just not good for your workplace or your business, but also the world and society.
0: Yeah, that, I agree with that philosophically. And you know that we've talked about this quite a bit. And I think that goes, it goes back to the second part, which is as you're doing the work with mm-hmm. the leadership teams, setting the models setting the example, how are you bringing these concepts into the organization, infusing it within organizations, to um, help them put in, put the practices and put the behaviors in that actually merge good mm-hmm. business performance, you know, business performance in the, in the historical sense with putting people first, right? Cause it's, that's the part that I think we've seen, uh, I wouldn't call it resistance, but slow adoption of leadership mm-hmm. over the last couple of decades. And now to your point, we've been, we've been gifted a, a major kind of quantum shift in how we conduct ourselves in the runs of business and, and work-life balance and you know how we're negotiating our agreements around all these different things mm-hmm. and so what does that what does that look like in the practical sense as you're kind of managing this change
1: yeah so i think the first thing is um you know i think there's a difference between commitment and perf- being performative and actually being uh, uh absolutely committed and willing to make the change. So I'll just be frank and honest and blunt up front. I typically don't work with the organizations who are performative or their actions don't at least an intention match their commitments. I think where people typically need help from me is when they're like, look, Angel, this is where we want to go. We're really committed. We're, we're willing to do whatever it takes, but we just don't know how. And so Um, In practice, it is first really getting a gauge like taking a beat and saying where are we when it comes to the cultural elements of our organization. And I have kind of a diagnostic that I use it's it's a mix of interviews surveys to understand if this is where we want to go what's currently happening in the organization and do those things match. And what I'm looking for is disparity, right? So if we're saying we want to be an inclusive company or a diverse company, um, what do our policies look like that are driving that? Are we, do we have a mix of diversity at the leadership level? I'm looking at data. I'm looking at um, quantitative and qualitative data to understand how those culture elements are actually matching up with where we want to be, and then we hone in on the gaps and we say, okay, this is our these are our areas of opportunity. Um, We say we're a wellness-driven company, they focus on well-being, but there's, our people are saying, I don't feel like I'm psychologically safe here. So let's work on that. Let's get to tactics and specific programs, strategies to, to fix that element. And then there's, you know, the engagement survey, right? So we have metrics and tools to measure this and benchmark this as we go to make sure that we're making progress and to continue to make sure all our investment and time is in the right place.
0: I love that. Thank you for getting very specific on the work that you're doing and, and how you're how you're outlining and how you're measuring it. I think it's it's, I mean, that's the that's the challenge, right? And I think that's the reality of HR right now. They're being challenged in a whole new way to measure. Oh, this yeah. big idealistic opportunity right like and that's and that's the part where i think there's huge opportunity for people in this field to develop new ways of measuring productivity and what and and what's important to employees and how cuz i and and you talked about this on our last conversation is the blend and where individual responsibility meshes with leadership and company responsibility and to your point how we define how we define that relationship and right? i think that's a and, it, and we've seen right now we're seeing it on kind of a societal level we being kind of played out but it, it's it's those small interactions those small relationships that happen every day that are they're kind of building up right and so um it's 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 a big it's a big it's a big you know it's a big problem not it's a big it's a big idea big concept we're putting into practice and you know, it requires a lot of discipline and determination and, and perseverance, frankly, keep going.
1: Yeah. And, and I think, I mean, I know what I, what I kind of ran down sounded really complex and, and complicated, which, which is why someone may look to hire, you know, someone like me or another culture consultant to say, okay, help us create a roadmap. But um, really it's about consistency. You know, do your behaviors match what you're saying? Um, it really comes down to leadership. It comes down to the quality of leadership. And so every, every, company that I've worked with, it's typically the first thing we focus on is leadership because what I find is the, the top of the organization, the executives say, this is what we want, but you know, those mid-level managers, maybe even directors, nobody's on the same page. Nobody knows the purpose of the organization. Nobody nobody is living or role modeling the behaviors, So you got to really get that intact team, that community aligned before you can do really anything else with with culture or or wellness.
0: Yeah, I I think that's that's a really good point. Um, And what role specifically are you seeing wellness play in this right now too? Because I think that that's, that's another really interesting point that you bring up is that separate from culture, we have this huge... Global pandemic that we're all managing from a from a reality standpoint, right? And so, how is that variable changing the conversations that you're hearing on these topics around just overall inclusive cultures, sense of belonging, around value-based, you know, business decisions, and that? Like, how is that shifting the conversation?
1: Yeah, I think you know I always consider wellness and DE and I actually a part of culture. I, I tend to not think about it separately. Because typically, if you look at any organization's core values or core behaviors, there's something around wellness, you know, we treat each other with respect or, you know, we, we care about people or, you know, something like that. And then there's always something around inclusion or mutual trust and respect or, you know, whatever it is. So, I don't see them as programs. I see uh, wellness and DE&I actually as it's a part of your culture. It's part of the culture you're looking to build. So, um, but what's changed, I think, is, you know, back to that social contract. I think uh, employees are saying, I am fed up with, I, I'm, I'm fed up and I will no longer allow my I will no longer my longer allow myself to be inauthentic in spaces because it's causing too much energy and it's actually making me sick mentally physically um and what are you company going to do for me <laughs> and that's a huge shift from companies you know kind of looking at the employee and saying how are you going to be loyal to us how do we know you're loyal to us now the tables have turned completely and, and I keep calling it the social contract, but that's what I mean by the social contract is, uh, the tables have turned.
0: I completely agree. I think, but I think we're just at the beginning of this kind of shift, right? Because I think, I mean, truly, because, um, you know, you look at the conversations that you and I have had regarding, you know, wages, regarding benefits, mm-hmm. regarding inclusivity. Right? I mean, I think, um, we've been conditioned over a long time on how we look at stakeholder, you know, shareholder based capitalism. Right. And the the shift to um, stakeholder based capitalism is a, is a a big one. Right. And it requires different metrics of success. Right. And, and also I think the hard part is weighing again, back what is what is an objective standard versus what is people's feelings and emotions. Right. And Mm -hmm. where, and how to bring those together at like, that's, like, what is truth, right? And how do you allow for a healthy conversation around that? And and I think that's the part. My sense is that's the part that we're watching right now, uh, kind of unfold in the world and not in the context of business. Is what are people's opinions and emotions? How does those how does those intersect effectively with what is what is optimal for business, for companies, for people, for communities, right? And I think that's the part that's not it's hard to create a clarity, a clear contract, and that is not yet clear, right? So I think, what do you think about that, about the responsibility of HR professionals to help create that clarity on what is the expectation?
1: Yeah, it's it's really tough because like you mentioned, we are at a very uh, unprecedented, you know, (laughs) the, the buzzword, unprecedented time. So how do you separate between we're going through a crisis and we, you know, separating that from once we're back to a a new normal, how, how how's the dust going to settle? And, you know, I, I have a really rebellious philosophy on HR. Um, I actually don't think that's the responsibility of HR. I think HR should be working themselves out of a job and leaders should really be the pulse. And once you have that community of leaders, they should be coming together to have those discussions to say, what are you hearing? What are you hearing? Let's put this together. And maybe there's a facilitator, right? Who kind of brings all the ideas together. Maybe that's HR, but there's got to be a responsibility from the leadership to not look at HR and say, what's the truth, HR? Um, Actually, leaders, you're the ones who are on the ground. You're hearing, you're playing the pieces together. You're the stewards of the business. You know what needs to be done. So let's use that leadership community to understand what the truth is and to separate between short-term empathy and long-term empathy and like what we need to do to actually get results.
0: Yeah. Interesting concept. So as HR is working itself out of the job in a traditional sense, what are they transforming themselves into? Yeah.
1: So I imagine HR is working themselves out of a job you know leadership is really the drivers of culture hr is really kind of a strategic advisory arm around road mapping the people and culture plan so they're maybe per- they're steering the ship um, you know as far as like which way to go but the leaders are driving the ship
0: got it so less when you, so in the sense of less process less policy less management of the implementation of those particular policies more advisory of people's strategy, or what, what aspect of it would you say?
1: Yeah, more business partnership and okay. really looking to the leaders to um, execute on key culture programs and key, cult, key culture strategies. Um, there may be, you know, I could see some opportunity for, you know, compliance management structure. In keeping the integrity of the process and then iterating it and improving it, but the people who need to be at the forefront of, let's say, um, a coaching conversation or uh, really implementing wellness and well-being into their teams needs to be the leader. Maybe there's some guidance or you know consistent threads that we need to make sure connect back to that organizational identity piece, which that HR person can be. But it's the leaders who are executing it within their teams.
0: Awesome, and okay, awesome. And on a personal Thank level, I mean, yeah, I know I'm giving you, I'm giving you hard. Um, and that's a good transition point. So, what on a personal level, what are you, what are you passionate about outside of work? What's your identity outside of your outside of your work identity?
1: Ooh, ah, I, oh gosh, I love a lot of things. Um, I love to travel. I love, love, love. so I work, I always say I work within the lowercase culture, you know, but I love culture, like the uppercase culture, learning about other cultures, um, learning about other people's experiences, traveling, um, experiencing the uppercase culture. And then, um, my husband and I love to dance. We are, we dance in our, uh, kitchen often and we're awesome. usually the first ones on the dance floor at any party so we both have a love so for you time. like to
0: have a good time yes. you like to have a good time you bring your optimistic spirit into your into yes. your hr world that's what it Absolutely. sounds like <laughs> amazing well what's your one piece of advice you would share with our rebel audience in terms of putting in their organization putting these ideas we've talked about where do they start where do they where do they begin in that shift to that transformation and from from HR in a traditional sense into, you know, strategic advisors of the future?
1: Hmm. Yeah, I think, um, the big difference between traditional HR and strategic HR is solving a business problem. It's, it's, it's business partnership. And so it's not, um, Taking what you've gotten from Sherm and your best practice toolkit and saying, we're gonna do this. It's it's talking, it's listening, it's understanding the challenges of the organization and the ecosystem and using your people-centric lens to strategize on what to do next. So being a business ally, how can you how think about some questions you can ask yourself on how to be a better business ally?
0: Amazing. So, and do you think then it's important for us to be providing more education around how to add value to the business? Like, is that something that we need to collect? We should be really putting into practice for the HR field is really understanding more how to define business outcomes.
1: Yes. hundred percent. Everything, everything you do should connect back into the business outcomes. There should be nothing you're doing that doesn't connect into a business outcome. That's, that's my perspective. <laughs>
0: Awesome. Angela, as always, I enjoy our conversations and I thank you for joining us today and sharing your wisdom.